Heavenly Father, as we turn now to the Scriptures, we pray for the blessing of the Holy Spirit to help us read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest, and all for Jesus' sake. Amen. Please be seated. Now turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2 and verse 8. Gospel according to Luke, chapter 2 and verse 8, and these very familiar words. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Well, so far, God's holy and inerrant word, and may he add his blessing to the reading of it. Some 50 years ago, when I went to seminary uh, in the early 70s, a book had just been published, it had been published maybe three or four years, uh, and it was set as a textbook. It was written by a German, uh, Joachim Jeremias, and it was called Jerusalem in the time of Jesus. Now, before you rush off and buy it as a stocking filler, it's, it's, not, for, um, it's not for the faint-hearted. It's uh, written at a fairly academic level with lots and lots of footnotes, um, but it is and remains uh, one of the most definitive um, research uh, of um, social structures in first century 
Palestine and in Jerusalem in particular. And one of the things I remember reading uh, was what Jeremias had to say about shepherds. Uh, I grew up on a farm with sheep, so my father was a shepherd and my grandfather before him, uh, but we're in a totally different world in the first uh, century. Um, shepherds occupied the same level uh, in um, social society as uh, tax collectors and street dung removers. Uh, they were on the very bottom of the ladder. Uh, Luke is writing to Gentiles, uh, perhaps um, one of the reasons why uh, Matthew, for example, writing to Jews, uh, did not include uh, the Annunciation uh, on the hillsides of Bethlehem, but Luke is writing to a very different audience. Now, interestingly enough, uh, Abel, uh, who is described as a keeper of sheep, was murdered uh, by uh, by his brother Cain, Jabel, uh, is described in chapter 4 of Genesis as the father of those living in tents, uh, the wealthy sons of Isaac uh, and Jacob tended uh, flocks. Jethro, the priest of Midian, employed his daughters as shepherdesses. And when the twelve tribes migrated to Egypt, they encountered a very different way of life, and sheep were foreign to Egypt. Uh, the Egyptians were agriculturalists and grew crops, and uh, the last thing that they would need would be sheep and goats uh, destroying their crops. So for 400 years, um, Israel as, as a people uh, lived in a society where herdsmen were uh, degraded and, and left to the wings of society. By David's time, uh, David, of course, was a shepherd, and their status was raised a little. But uh, in the prophets, for example, many of the prophets um, view sheep herders as a sign of judgment, the judgment of God. Now, some shepherds, no doubt, um, earned their bad reputation. There are suggestions um, as you're looking after your flock by night uh, on the hills of Bethlehem, there are suggestions that perhaps uh, some sheep stealing uh, was taking place, uh, easy enough for sheep to wander away, uh, and uh, in a, an age where you cannot microchip your, your sheep, they were likely to be uh, stolen. Um, but I also think that in the first century, according to Jeremias, uh, the, the status of shepherds was somewhat stereotyped. The rabbis um, banned pasturing sheep uh, except in the desert plains. And there's a very interesting, I've been reading up on my Mishnah, the Mishnah is the written account of uh, Israel's oral law that developed uh, in the Mosaic uh, period, and lots of legal matters are discussed uh, in the Mishnah. I have a rabbi living next door to me, so I'm checking up on, on my Jewish sources. And um, it's very interesting that the Mishnah says uh, that no one should be obligated to rescue a shepherd even if he had fallen into a pit. Well, that's pretty strong. 
that tells you something about what Luke might be suggesting here, uh, that there were shepherds keeping uh, watch over their herds, their, their sheep uh, by night. Um, the invitation list, the divine mailing list, uh, wasn't sent to the high priest. It wasn't sent to the rabbis in Jerusalem, uh, but to lowly, socially outcast shepherds on the hills of Bethlehem. So, the first thing I want us to see this morning is that Christmas is for sinners. Christmas is for sinners. That's what Luke is telling you by describing this annunciation to shepherds, to the outcasts of society, not to the deserving, not to the socially elite, not to the religiously scrupulous, but to the off-caste and the despised and the dejected within uh, society. An angel appears to them. I've never seen an angel knowingly. I often think when I'm stopped at a red light and there's a, a guy with a cardboard in his hand, and, and I think I'm just a sucker. I just think this is an angel and it's a test. And am I going to look him in the eye? Am I, am I just going to sit there awkwardly while he looks at me? And, and you do what you do, and I'll do what I do, but my bet is that this is an angel, and it's out to test me. Um, scripture speaks of seeing angels unawares. Uh, the great John Murray, uh, one of the great, great theologians from Scotland, lectured at Westminster Seminary in the 40s and 50s and early 60s, and uh, he came to class one day, and uh, Jeff Thomas, my dear friend Jeff Thomas, was in class, and John Murray stood up in his very, very strong Highland, uh, Scottish Highland accent, described how uh, his car had come to a screeching halt when there was a green light before him, and an 18-wheeler came crashing through the red light, and he said, it was the ministry of angels. He said, my foot never touched the brake. Now, if, I, if I'd heard that story from someone else, I would have been full of misgivings. But this was John Murray. And uh, he said it was the ministry of angels. Um, and there's a glory. When we talk about glory, what do we mean? When the Bible uses the word glory, it means putting the presence and power of God on public display. And the only way that Luke can describe that, how can the invisible God make himself present and on public display? And Luke uses the language of light. It shone around them like, a, like a, a, an effervescent light. God was there speaking to these lowly shepherds on the hillsides of Bethlehem, and they are afraid, as you would be, as I would be. And the angel, we don't know if it is Gabriel who appeared uh, in the 
uh, Annunciation story to, to, to Mary and Joseph. Um, maybe it's Gabriel, and uh, he utters those words, those beautiful words, fear not. There's an entire Bible study on the number of occasions and the contexts in which God says, fear not. They had every right to be afraid. They were in the presence of something that was uncanny, something they had never seen before or felt before or experienced before. And why should they not be afraid? Because, let's say Gabriel says to them, I bring you good news. I bring you good news of great joy. This, uh, this term, good news, it's one word in Greek, and it's the word gospel. It's the word evangel. Uh, we talk about the word evangelical, for example, which has lost its meaning a little bit. But uh, good news, the best news there ever was. You read your news feeds. I can't take a lot of it. Some of you live in the world of politics, and uh, I, I don't know how you do it. God bless you. Bless your hearts, as they say around here. <laughs> I can only take the headlines. The details are so dark and so gloomy and so full of um, despair. And then comes Christmas with good news, the best news, the most marvelous news, unforgettable news, news like you've never heard before. And what is this news? It's news of great joy that will be for all people. Great joy. There's something about Christmas and Christmas carols and reading these familiar Christmas stories from Matthew and Luke especially, and they're full of joy, joy to the world, joy to the world. And then he says, by way of description, unto you is born this day in the city of David. Notice he says, for unto you, that this, this birth announcement was for them, for the shepherds, for the outcasts for the downtrodden, for the despised, for sinners. And unto you is born this day in the city of David, Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. What we need most is a Savior, because we cannot save ourselves. We cannot do sufficient good works to merit our salvation. We cannot earn our way into the kingdom of God. We need a Savior. We're drowning in our sins, and we need someone to rescue us. And God sends His Son to be that Savior, who is Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. Luke doesn't do what John does, putting the divinity of Christ and the humanity of Christ right next to each other. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What, 
what Luke says is, he is the Lord, and he's lying in a manger. He's the Lord of creation, but he has become incarnate. He's been birthed, carried in the womb of the Virgin Mary for nine months, and now lying in a manger. It's a sign for them. It's a sign that Christmas is for sinners. Christmas is for you. Christmas is for me. Well, secondly, Christmas is for song. Now, in verse 13, Luke says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. The word multitude in Greek is the word plethos, from which we get our word plethora. How many? A thousand? Ten thousand? A hundred thousand? An entire army of angels, a multitude of the heavenly host, and the word host is a military word. It's, these, are, these are God's soldiers. These are the ones protecting you and me in the course of our daily lives. And they're singing. Well, someone emailed me this week taking objection because it says in verse 13, saying. Well, all I could respond was that in the Greek, the word for saying has a wide semantic range, and it no doubt includes singing. I can't imagine it just being said. I can only imagine it being sung. One of the things that I'm going to miss uh, the most of uh, being the senior minister here is sitting up here in this fancy chair uh, with the choir behind me. I, I have been moved. I'm, I'm not a terribly emotional person, but, but I've been moved to tears, moved to a sense of awe and wonder as the choir have sung uh, these great, great songs, that, that Stopford piece that opened uh, in the intro this morning. Um, with such professionalism and finesse, and um, music can do things that sometimes words cannot. You know, music can touch you. A any kind of music. I mean, maybe you're into a country and western, but but whatever whatever type of music, it it can move you. It brings back memories. It takes you to a different place. Transports you. And what are they singing? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. Typical, isn't it, of angels that they would know the Shorter Catechism? <laughs> what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That's our chief purpose. Those of us who have known this good news, those of us who have tasted this evangel, those of us who have an assurance that our sins are forgiven, that we've grasped the meaning that Christmas is for sinners, 
We want to give Him glory. Through our worship here on Sunday morning and Sunday evening, we want to put a little bit of God's presence on public display so that we've all had these occasions when we've been in church and, and, and we've, we've felt something of the presence of God. Glory to God in the highest, extolling Him, making as much of Him as possible. And peace, Hark, the herald angels sing glory to the newborn King. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. That was Charles Wesley. George Whitfield changed the first line. Wesley had used some, some 17th century English term that no one would, would understand. And hark, the herald angels sing for those with whom He is pleased, for those whom He has chosen. That seems to be what Luke is saying here. A hint here of divine sovereignty that God has been pleased to make His gospel known to us, to us. And you may say, why? Why us and not someone else? And I have no answer for you. All I can tell you is do what these angels did and give glory to God. Well, Christ, Christmas is for sinners. Christmas is for song. And Christmas is for speaking. And you notice what the, what the shepherds did. They went with haste. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. They've received good news, but they couldn't keep it to themselves. They wanted all of Bethlehem to hear it. They wanted all of Bethlehem to hear the best news that they could ever hear, that God had sent His Son into the world to reconcile the world to himself. There's a man called John Wesley Work, Jr. He was an Afri African-American, son of a church director, music director. Uh, we're talking about the turn of the 19th, 20th century, post-Civil War. And uh, he took it to task to gather the uh, Negro spirituals. Uh, these were not uh, written down. This was part of oral tradition uh, in the African-American community. And he published two volumes. In volume two in 1907, he published uh, the spiritual Go Tell It on the Mountain, under, uh, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Well, that's, that's what you need to do this Christmas time. Like these shepherds, to go and tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Christmas is for sinners. 
Christmas is for song. Christmas is for speaking. And I'm about to give up speaking because I'm not sure how much more voice I, I have. So perhaps one of the shortest sermons in the 12 years I've been here. Um, but r- unwrap that little, that little gift this afternoon and, and expand it in your hearts and souls. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for Christmas. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you that it puts a song in our mouth, even praise to you. We want to be able to tell others about all that you have done here in this community and in our families, and to express to you how great you are, to sing glory to God in the highest. Grant your blessing upon each of us this Christmas season. For Jesus' sake we ask it. Amen.